you what, we're always glad for people to be here, but today we are very especially glad to see Cappy Smith in service with us today. Cappy is a longtime member of our church. Her and Dud uh, were here for years and years, and Cappy has been living in Dunaway Manor uh, for the last several years, and this is the first time in a while she's got to be with us. She got up and got her grandson, William, to bring her here, and we are glad to see her here in her spot where she sat for years and years with Dud. Have you ever lost hope? And if so, you you know how deep the hole of discouragement can get and how difficult it can be to climb out of that hole. Today, I want you to take heart because God is the God of hope that wants you to abound in hope and you can regain hope. Now, when we talk about the loss of hope, there are two extremes that we have to avoid. The first is that the loss of hope is always because of sin. The second is that the loss of hope is never because of sin. The fact is, the loss of hope can be because of sin, but it can also be because of something else. The always never extremes are bad because in all honesty, they leave us unable to ever regain our hope. But if sin is not the issue that has caused me to lose hope, but I think it is, then I will spend all of my time beating myself up over sin, but never actually get to the real issue that is causing me to lose hope. And without ever getting to the real issue that's causing me to lose hope, not only will I never be able to regain hope, I will sink in deeper and deeper into the hole of despair. But if sin is the issue causing me to lose hope, But I don't ever deal with it there because, after all, sin is never the issue. Not only will I never be able to regain hope, but my loss of hope will continue to deepen. If sin is the issue, then I will never regain hope until I deal with my sin in the way prescribed in Scripture. The message today shows us a people who had lost hope. And it shows us the path that God led them on so they could regain hope. And I believe it will lead us to regain hope regardless of what it is that has caused our loss of hope. Open your Bible to Joshua chapter 7. It's page 171 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. We're actually going to look at the entire chapter today, but we're just going to read the first six verses To get started. Joshua 6 and 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel. And he spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Then they returned to Joshua and they said, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not worry about the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up from there. From the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, 
the hearts of the people melted, became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. The title of the message this morning is Regaining Hope. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and you are worthy of our devotion. God, today we, we gather here in your name and in your house with a desire to meet with you. Father, there is so little need to hear from me, but there is such a great need to hear from you today. Father, Jesus said that the flesh profits nothing, but his words are spirit and his words are life. So let us hear. Let us hear his words today and not mine. Father, today we. We are here as a people, Lord, who often put on a good face in public. Who often pretend that all is well. When in reality, we have lost hope. And Lord, the reasons that we have lost hope, they can vary from person to person. But the loss of hope is nonetheless real. The discouragement is nonetheless deep. The difficulty of it all, it's just hard. Father, you today in your word, you can show us how to move out of despair, how to regain hope. So, Father, today, give us ears to hear that we would hear what you have to say, that we would take your word and we would surrender to it. And we would say, this is the word of God. This is the way it is to be done. These are the things that I will do to regain hope. Father, there is a deep need for you to work in our hearts and in our lives today. We need you, God, to do what only you can do. We need you to let your word be living and active, sharper than the two-edged sword. That, Lord, it would would discern the thoughts and the intents of our heart. We need your word to be a hammer to knock down strongholds that we may have erected so that our every thought could be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. We need your word to be a light that would dispel the darkness in our minds that we would see the glory of Of our God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need you to save the lost. We need you to restore the backslider. We need you to encourage the discouraged. We need you to strengthen the weak. We need you God to do things in all of our lives. That when we left here we would say without a doubt and with absolute certainty. The living God has been here among us today. Oh God fill me today with your Holy Spirit. And let me speak your words and your ways for your glory. Nothing more, nothing less. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Joshua 6 is all about the Israelites' first battle in the promised land. The first battle in the promised land had been a a hope-inspiring success. God had given them a battle plan that was, though unique, it was God's plan. And and here was the plan. They were to walk around the city of Jericho once a day for six days. And they were to be absolutely silent. And then on the seventh day, they were to walk around the city of Jericho seven times, still absolutely silent. But at the completion of the seventh lap, they were to yell at the walls and blow the trumpets. And God 
would take care of giving them victory. And that's what happened. They walked around on seven times. They yelled at the walls. They blew the trumpets. The walls fell down. They ran in for, a, for an easy victory. Huzzah! Great. God has done great things. God is for us and not against us. We will take the promised land that our fathers were not able to do. And that's where chapter 6 ends. And then we get to chapter 7 and it, and it starts somewhat ominously. But. Right? They won a great victory. God is being glorified. People are afraid of Joshua. But. But something happened. In Jericho. Someone among the Israelites. Had done something he was not supposed to do. A man named Achan had taken something that did not belong to him. And now the thrill of victory, it is soon to be overcome the agony of defeat. Joshua sends out spies to the city of Ai to check it out. They come back pretty full of themselves. Small town, not nearly the size of Jericho, it, don't, it won't take everybody, Josh. Let's just, let's just get a few thousand of us and we'll go and we'll knock down the walls. We'll take this city. We'll come back and we'll move on to something more important and bigger. Joshua says, I think that's a good idea. And so 3,000 men go against the small town of Ai and they are defeated. Not only defeated, they, they have to flee before the men of Ai. They have to turn and run away. They sound retreat. And the Israelites, who are the great conquerors, are going to take the land that their God is giving them. They are now running away in absolute defeat. Thirty-six of their warriors are dead. And the result is that the hearts of the people melted and became like water. They lost hope. They're defeated. They're downcast. The idea that their hearts became like water means that there was no courage left in them. They could not see a way forward from this defeat. As far as they were concerned, they were probably all going to die right here in the promised land. Well, the loss affects Joshua as well. Joshua tears his clothes. He falls to the earth on his face. Now, man, again, you picture that. Right? That's not meaning he's kneeling at an altar. That he fell on his face on the earth. It means just what it says. He laid face down on the ground, prostrate before the ark of the Lord. The leaders of the people, they come and they get beside Joshua and they all do the same thing. And, and while they're laying there, they're, they're taking dirt and throwing it on their heads as a sign of mourning. They've lost hope. Their hearts have melted. They're defeated. They can't see a way forward. And that's where they are. That's where, where we're picking up is from this point on. Now listen, have you, ever, have you ever felt like Joshua and the Israelites felt here? Your heart melted like, wa like water. There's no, there's no courage. There's no hope. There's, there's in your mind, you can't see a way forward. You have lost hope. You have lost confidence. And you don't believe there's any way to move forward and you're just going to live a life of defeat, depression, despair from this point on. If you can ever been there, you know where they're at. In this passage, it offers us hope. 
it shows us the steps that they went through and what God led them through to get them into a place where they could regain hope. The way God worked in them to regain hope is the way God can work in us to regain hope. So there are five five actions to take. First, we need to go to God. Joshua lays on the ground until sunset. And then he cries out, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when the Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? I love Joshua's prayer. Joshua's prayer is is beautiful in its raw honesty. There's no flowery prose in his prayer. Joshua is, is, as we talked about last week, he is pouring out his soul to God. Why, oh God, has this happened? Why did you bring us to this land that was supposed to be ours that you promised just to destroy us? God, why did you do that? God, what am I going to tell the people? I've led them. I've said this is the will of God, the way of God, and now we've been defeated. How do I go back and tell them anything? Oh God, the people of the land, they're going to hear that AI beat us. And they're going to be emboldened, and they're going to come together, and they're going to wipe us off the face of the earth. Then what, God? Then what? Joshua did the only thing he knew to do in this time of defeat, in this time of despair, this, this time where he lost hope. He, he took his knees and he began to go to God and say, what is going on? And that's what we need to do as well. When we are experiencing a loss of hope, we need to go to God. Right? God is a, a God of hope, Romans tells us, that wants us to abound in hope through the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, that is God's perfect will, perfect plan for every believer that we would be filled with all joy and all peace in believing so that we abounded with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we don't have that, something is amiss. And we need to go to God to find out. Now, when we go to God to ask why, and I, as we talked about last week, we pour out our souls, we just bear it all before God. But as we do, we have to be ready for God to answer. And for God to answer us in a way that we don't expect. See, Joshua, he didn't have the inside information that we have from verse 1. He didn't know Achan had taken from the accursed things. He didn't know that Achan had stolen something and and caused God to, to turn against the entire nation. He didn't know that. Now, God was going to tell him, and we'll get to that in a second. But when we go to God as we're losing hope and we want to regain hope, we need to go to God. And we say why and we ask what's going on. But we go with the realization that chances are it's not God who has failed us. But it may well be something that we have done. So we go to God. We ask him to show us. Now, when we ask God to show us. I think there's four requests that we should pray. Right. Search my heart. Scripture teaches us 
that our hearts, the human heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's your heart. That's my heart. And it also says, and who can know it? The implication is, you and I, we can't always know what's in our hearts. We can't always be assured that our motivations for what we do are right. We can't be always sure that we're doing the right things for the right reasons. Our heart can deceive us. But it goes on in Jeremiah 17 and says, but I, the Lord, I know the heart. See, we need God to search our hearts. We need God to say, is there anything in my heart that's not right? Is there anything in my motivations, in my attitudes, in my actions, what God in me is wrong? Search my heart. We also, we ought to pray for God to test our thoughts. Our thoughts are pretty important. Thoughts determine what we believe and what we believe determines how we live. And the reason it's important that we have God test our thoughts is because deception is a real thing. Right? Scripture teaches that we have an enemy that is a liar and the father of lies that wants to deceive us. And the thing about a deception is we don't know that we're deceived. Right? I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? I... I don't know anything about algebra. So if I were to, someone were to tell me to factor a polynomial, and I went to Nathan and said, Nathan, show me how to factor this polynomial. If Nathan showed me something, I would just have to take it as true. I don't know any different. And if he were to lie to me and make something up, I would assume that's right. We don't know we're deceived when we're deceived. That's part of the problem. Also, the Bible says that we can deceive ourselves. Do you know that if we hear the word, but we don't do the word, we deceive ourselves? That's James. So every time the Bible says, do all things without murmuring and complaining. And I'm like, that's not real. That doesn't mean me. I deceive myself. And the Bible says, do not judge or you'll be judged. And I say, well, I've just got a judgmental attitude. I can't help that. We deceive ourselves. Every time we hear but don't heed, we deceive ourselves. And a third problem about deception is that deception has consequences. Go back to Nathan teaching me algebra wrong. If I go to take an algebra test and the only way to factor a polynomial is what Nathan has taught me, and he's lied or he doesn't know what he's doing, I'll fail the test. I will have been genuine. I will have been honest. I will have done everything I knew, but still be wrong. And my math teacher won't care that the 17-year-old kid who taught me was wrong. Are you 17 or 18? 17-year-old kid was wrong. The math teacher won't care. Spiritual deception has consequences too. Just because we believe something, that doesn't make it true. It's true because it's true. We believe it because it's true. It doesn't become true because we believe it. Test my thoughts. Lord, if I believe the lie, have I deceived myself? Am I headed for consequences? Am I experiencing consequences because of deception I've embraced? Convict me deeply. You know that in Isaiah, God says, the person I will look upon is the person who trembles at my word. That's a, trembles at my word. I mean, do we, 
do we tremble at God's word? You know, the reality is most people really don't tremble at God's word anymore. See, to tremble at God's word, it means that when we look at God's word and it says one thing, and then we look at our lives and our lives are doing something else, we go, oh my goodness, I'm wrong. I I better fix this. God has said and I should do. But most often what happens now is we make a joke about it. Oh, yeah, I mean, the Bible says don't judge, but oh, come on, I've just got a judgmental attitude. What are you going to do about it? The Bible says do all things without murmuring and complaining. Oh, come on now. I I just today I'm in a bad mood. I mean, who? Come on. And we take that with any sin and every sin. We just, the Bible says to do it. We don't do it. And we make a joke about why we don't do it. And what that says is, I don't tremble at God's word. And we need God to convict us deeply. We, we need God to cause us to tremble at his word. I, I don't think that's a natural response for humans to have. Think about the day of Pentecost, right? Their, their hearts are pricked by the word of God. And what do they say? What must I do to be saved? They don't say, oh, come on, Peter. Oh, yeah, we had the Messiah crucified. But I mean, come on, who's really going to believe he's he was the Messiah? Oh, oh, Peter, can you tell me something easy to do? Will you make will you soothe my conscience and tell me I'm going to be okay? What do I need to do? And you tell me what to do. We're going to do it. We want out from underneath the wrath of Almighty God. They were trembling at His Word. And if we're going to regain hope, we're going to have to have that sort of an attitude towards God's Word. We need God to convict us deeply about anything in our lives that's not the way it ought to be. And then, lead me completely. And we'll talk about this in a minute more. But I can't ever just keep doing what I've always done and expect to regain hope. There'll have to be changes that I make, things that I do, that God wants me to do. Show me exactly what you want me to do, exactly what changes I need to make, exactly what attitudes I need to repent of, exactly what to do. And I'll do it, oh God. Lead me completely. Our God is a God of hope. That wants us to abound in hope through the Holy Spirit. And if we are suffering a loss of hope, we can go to Him. And He absolutely, absolutely will lead us out of there. So we start by going to God, but then we, we listen to God. It says in, well, I've let my page turned. Verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua... I mean, isn't that good? Joshua's like, what do I need to do? What's going on? God doesn't leave him hanging. He doesn't have to live in silence, wondering. God speaks and God encourages and God tells him. Here's the issue. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Now, here's what's happened. 
As they take the promised land, God is going to give them the plunder of the cities that they take. Except for one city. The first city, Jericho. Jericho is kind of like God's tithe on things. They take that first city and everything in that city was doomed to destruction. It was all to be destroyed. Not one person was supposed to keep not, not a thread or a penny or anything from the town. But God's promise was, I'll give you everything else that's in the land. It'll be better. It'll be more. But this first city, this first city, it's mine. You don't take any of it. But, but Achan. Now, here's the deal. Everyone got the memo, right? This isn't a, a, an issue of Achan didn't know. Achan knew. Everyone knew. They all knew. The rule had been laid down. It had been communicated thoroughly. Everyone got the memo. Everyone was clear. Everything at Jericho's gods. Destroy it. Burn it. Pile stuff upon it. Leave it there. Don't take so much as a rock in your pocket. But Achan didn't do it. And because Achan didn't do it, the whole nation was now cursed. And they were doomed to destruction. I wish I had time to get into all of that and what it means that our sin affects others, but I don't. But something I want to point out here that we'll talk about over and over again from this point on is that because of what Achan had done, they had lost. But it wasn't just one battle. They would lose every battle from this point forward. No matter what happened, no matter how many people they sent into battle, they would never win another battle until they dealt with their issue the way that God was going to prescribe. They would never regain hope without doing what God was telling them to do. And He was going to tell them what to do. When we go to God and we say, why and what's going on? And, and we go with this sort of an attitude, search my heart. Test my thoughts. Convict me deeply. Lead me completely. I mean, that, those four requests are based from one Psalm 139, verses 24 and 25. That's a Bible-based prayer. God is going to answer those things. God will search our heart. God will test our thoughts. God will convict us deeply. God will lead us completely. But what we have to do then is listen to God. See, when we go to God and we say, God, how do I regain hope? How do I get out of the hole? How do I move forward? The problem from that point on, it's not going to be that God won't speak. It's going to be that we won't listen. This has always been a problem. Psalm 95, it says, for, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the, day, as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Now, I love the first part. He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. In a lot of ways, that first part, it is the basis for why we do the last part. Right? He is our God. We are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Right? That picture is the, the Lord is my shepherd picture. And there's a lot about the Lord being our shepherd that we don't have time to get into. But part of what it means that the Lord is my shepherd... One is it means that God cares about me. Right? That God cares about us. We are the sheep in His hand. Right? That, that pictures His care, His concern. The fact that God wants what's best for us. God does want us to abound in hope. 
He always wants what's best. Always. We can trust that. Not only does God care about us, but God knows us. Right? The, the shepherd knew the sheep, the sheep in his hand. He was aware of everything. Right? The, the Bible speaks of him knowing the hairs of our head being numbered. He knows why we've lost hope. He knows what's led us into the hole. Now, and that's important because, listen, everybody we go to may not know. Not every person that we go to and say, man, I'm discouraged and I don't know how to get out. Some of the things they say may make no sense and have nothing to do with anything. Because they don't know everything, but God knows. We can bank upon that. And the third thing about the shepherd is that the shepherd leads the sheep. The shepherd will lead us. He will always lead us. In the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We can be confident. When I cry out and I say, search me, try me, convict me, lead me. My shepherd can give me the answers I need and He will lead me. But the issue is that I have to listen when I hear His voice. And not harden my heart. You see, the Israelites, when they followed God in the Exodus... They heard God speak. They heard Him say, do this or don't do that. But most often what they did was they said, I don't want to. I'd rather do something else, God. I'd rather go here than go there. I'd rather not go anywhere. And so they missed out on what God had for them, what God wanted for them. That was the issue with Achan. He didn't listen to God and now they were all in this trouble because of him. When we go to God, He'll speak, He'll lead, He'll guide, He'll show us. But what we have to do is not harden our hearts. We have to say that when God speaks, I'm going to go. That what God says, I'm going to do. I have to have ears to hear and a heart that's willing to obey. Because we serve a God who is a God of hope. And He wants us to abound in hope through the Holy Spirit. So when we go to him and ask how to regain hope, he'll speak if we'll listen. And after we listen, we also have to trust then. God tells Joshua what to do. Get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies till you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought... According to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe that the Lord takes shall come according to the families, the family which the Lord takes shall come by household, and the household which the Lord takes shall come by the man. And it shall be the man who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. And all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So God tells Joshua what it is they're going to have to do. First, they're going to have to sanctify themselves. It involves some purification. It reminds them again, you will never stand before your enemies in victory until you do what I have said to do. You are perpetually defeated, never regaining hope until you follow me in the paths that I'm instructing you to go in. But then he tells them exactly what to do to find out the person that has taken the accursed thing. And I don't know about you, but I find it kind of interesting. Well, I mean, to me, it seems like a long, drawn-out deal. 
Joshua is going to stand probably like on a rock so everybody can see him. And then all the tribes are going to walk before him. Think about all the tribes. That is a lot of people. And one tribe is going to walk by and God's going to say, it's that tribe. So all the other tribes are going to back off and this tribe is going to stand there. Then all the houses and the families of that tribe, they're going to walk by Joshua and God's going to say, it's that family. And then all the households of that family are going to walk by and then God's going to say, that is the man right there on the spot. I mean, that's like an all day affair. To me, it would be a whole lot more efficient for God to say, it's Achan, go take care of it. That's five, ten minutes, tops are done, moving on, out to victory, regaining hope. But that's not what God did. And Joshua is going to have to trust that God's way is the best way, even though it's kind of a long, drawn out way. But it doesn't doesn't meet with the way you would normally do things along those lines. Because God knows the answer. It's not like God's testing them and going through and going, is it him? Is it them? No. Oh, it's that family. God already knows. So why did God do it in this way? I don't know. Because he wanted to. And he's God. And he gets to do what he wants. And the principle for us is, when God leads us, it's not always going to make sense. That when God tells us what needs to be done in order to to regain our hope, it's not always going to be what we expect. It's not always going to be the way that we expect. It's not always going to be the, the time, even the time that we expect. But in that moment, we have a choice to make. Will I trust God and do it his way? Or will I think I know more than God and do it my way? Now, remember what God told Joshua. Till you do it my way, you're defeated and you're going to stay there. You will never be able to stand before your enemies. In fact, God has said, I will be fighting against you. How bad is that? So when God says this is what you do. There is a choice. I can choose not to do it God's way. I can choose to come up with my own plan and have my own ideas and think this is what needs to be done. But my way certainly leaves me in defeat. My way certainly leaves me not regaining hope. The only way I will move from defeat to victory, from despair to regaining hope, it is to do it God's way. And that's an issue of trust. Do I trust God enough to do what he has said, even though I don't understand the ways, the whys, the winds or any of things that God has said to do? Just move out and do it in that way. Well, Joshua did. And that takes us to our last point. Obey God. This is where the rubber meets the road. Joshua now has to do exactly what God says to do. So verse 16, he rises early in the morning and he brought Israel by their tribes. The tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah and the family of the Zerites. And he brought the family of the Zerites man by man and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah. The tribe of Judah was taken. Now Joshua says to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Make confession to him and tell me now what you have done and do not hide it from me. And Achan answered and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I've done. I saw the beautiful Babylonian garment 
200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. There they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. There it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took from them in the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and brought them to the valley of Acre. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire after they had stoned him with stones. And they raised up a great heap of stones, raised up over him a great heap of stones that is still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. So the name has been called the Valley of Acre, or the Valley of Trouble to this day. I mean, it's one thing to say, God, why, what? It's one thing to listen when God speaks and to trust. But now Joshua actually had to do what God called him to do. Take the time, let the people walk, pick the one, the one, the one, until he got to the actual one. Get the accursed thing. And then stone that man and all of his family to death. Burn them with fire. And then pile up a heap of stones over the top of them. That was God's way. That was what had to be done in order for them to regain hope and to move from defeat into victory. It was the hard part. It's where the rubber meets the road. And it's that way for us too. I mean, it's one thing to call on God and say, why God? What's going on? God speaks. That's not even most of the time something we have to try. He'll deal with us through His Word or bring something to our mind. Trust, I mean... That's a little more complicated. We can say a lot of times I trust, but still hedging on things until it gets to the actual issue. Doing the thing that God has said to do, whatever it is. And that's where people falter. And that's where people languish in defeat and despair far longer than they have to. Because they... They don't want to do what God has said to do. They don't want to let go of what God has said to let go of. They don't want to do the things that God has said they're supposed to do. And so they they begin to try to do it their own way. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I need to do. Here's how I feel it should be done. And all that does is leave them in that same place of defeat, that same place of despair, never regaining hope. Lots of effort, lots of work. Maybe even lots of positive speech. This time, today, this is the day. Feeling like an overcomer. But because it's not God's way, it doesn't lead us out of the hole. It leaves us in the hole, but actually it deepens the hole because we're just digging and digging and working and effort and discouraged and more. And we're as bad or worse off at the end. And it's not that there's not a way out. And it's not that we can't regain hope. It's that we failed in one crucial element. We just won't do the thing that God has said we must do. And that's what it all boils down to. We have to do the thing that God says we must do. 
And to do the thing that God has said we must do, we need to remember, number one, that God is always right. I mean, we talk about God being omniscient. He knows everything about everything. If you're in a place of a loss of despair and you're seeking God for help, whatever He says, that is right no matter how little sense it makes to you. That is right no matter how hard that it is. God is always right. There will never come a moment in your life where you're smarter than God. There will never come a moment in your life when you're wiser than God. There will never come a moment in your life where your plan is more right than God's plan. God is always right. It's a point of surrender and a point of faith. Whatever you want me to do, God, that's what I'm going to do. And then, I've got to be ruthless. I mean, you think about what they had to do. It's one thing to just get the stuff. Call the people, walk in front. Yeah, okay, Aiken, give me the stuff. Take the stuff and get rid of it. But a whole family, all their stuff, stoned, burned, rocks piled up as a memorial forever. People would see that pile of rocks and go, goodness, that was a bad day. Now, let me say I'm fairly certain, like 120% certain, God didn't call you to go stone anybody today, so don't even go that way. But be ruthless. Just do whatever it takes. You know, Jesus, when he talks about getting stuff out of our lives, what, what's the language he uses? Gouge out your eye. Cut off your hand. Cut off your foot. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty rough, right? But it's a choice. We can choose to hold on to something that is keeping us in defeat. That is keeping us in despair. That because of this thing, I will never regain hope. I will never move from defeat to victory because of this. I can choose that. But if I want to regain my hope, I must let that go, whatever it is, so that I can move from defeat to victory, from despair to hope. And I have to do it whether it's a job whether it's a person, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a hobby, no matter what it is. That's why it's called be ruthless. So in the end, if something, what God shows me, is causing me to lose hope, it's keeping me defeated. And God's going to say, that's the thing. That's it. And I have a choice. I can say, no, no, I'm keeping it. And I will never regain hope. I will never win. I will never live in spiritual victory. As long as I'm clutching to what God says to let go of, I will live in perpetual defeat, continual despair. And I will never regain hope. I will never abound in hope to the Holy Spirit. Or I can do the hard thing and be ruthless and say, this is not nearly as good as what Jesus is going to give me. And I can lay it aside and I can embrace his work. And then there from there, I will begin to abound in hope for the power, of the Holy Spirit. But I have to be ruthless, I have to be willing to lay aside anything, whatever it is that he says needs to be let go. Now, you may think this is not a very hopeful message because it ends with a dude being stoned to death, burned and rocks piled on top of him. It's called the Valley of Acre in verse 26. 
And the valley of acre, it essentially means the valley of trouble, which I'm sure, I mean, that's a bad, bad place. But the valley of acre, the valley of trouble is mentioned again in the book of Hosea. And it says this, I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of acre as a door of hope. She shall sing from there the days of her youth as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. When God talked about the valley of trouble, the valley of acre there, they knew. They all knew. He meant that place where Achan was killed. Where the whole nation was condemned until they took care of that. And God said, in that place, in that awful place, where that awful thing happened, I can give you a door of hope even there. That's just how great I am. So the key truth today is this, is that God will take me from the valley of trouble to the door of hope. God will take me from the valley of trouble to the door of hope. There is no defeat so great that God cannot give us hope. There is no darkness so dense that God cannot give us hope. There is no despair so intense that God cannot give us hope. God can and God will absolutely take us from our valley of trouble to a door of hope. But what I like about this You have to walk through the door, don't you? Today, God will take you from your valley of trouble and he will take you right to the door of hope. And the choice will be yours, whether or not you're going to open it and walk in to the abounding hope that God wants you to have. Will you walk through the door of hope today?